right? God is good. And all the time. Even through the tears, amen? We serve an amazing God of amazing goodness. His goodness to us is noticeable in the good times and in the rough times. Even though sometimes it may not feel like it or we may not see it, his goodness is there. Today I want to look at a passage in Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to start with the end of the chapter and come back to the beginning of the chapter. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 through 11. The prophet writes these words, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, or the Adventist translation would say with watches, right? (laughs) For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. What a word from the prophet. I just, can I read that again? Listen to that. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Our God is very committed to us. Your God is very committed to you. And clothing you with garments of salvation and his robe of righteousness. He does it. He provides it. And as it says, as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Oh, we are blessed to have a God that's so committed to us. The Chicago Tribune reported on a company in Seattle that will help fund your wedding for up to $10,000. Sounds great at first. Especially with the cost, it says, of weddings going up. Where do all the recently engaged couples sign up? But there's something else to consider. The catch. If your union crumbles... At six months or 25 years, you must pay the $10,000 back with interest. Some of you are thinking, why didn't I think of that business proposal? The startup company called Swan Love, S-W-A-N-L-U-V, because swans mate for life, will review your relationship and set an interest rate based on your compatibility. Oh, man, they are banking, literally, on you not staying committed, right? God, 
through his covenant-keeping act of Jesus Christ, is committed, committed to you and I in saving our lives. And if you're going to bet, you bet on God that he will come through because he will not fail. He puts his garments of salvation on us and his robe of righteousness. Yes, we delight greatly in God. The Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, verse 10 says. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me, arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Now, don't, I have a, a lot to say this morning. Don't worry, I won't go till one. Not that much a lot. But, but don't let some of these words pass you by this morning. Please listen to these words. He, and I'm going to say this, listen to this for yourself personally, if you would. He has clothed you with garments of salvation. Can you listen to those words for yourself today? Can you receive those words for yourself? They're for the person next to you, behind you, in front of you, but they're for you. Can you receive those for yourself today? He's clothed you and I with garments of salvation. Now listen to this. And he's arrayed you in a robe of his righteousness. Thank God it's not my righteousness. Because there's very little of that. But there's more than an abundance of righteousness from Jesus. And he's arraying us in a robe of his righteousness. So much so as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I thank God for his commitment and his faithfulness to his covenant to redeem us. I was in a meeting this last Monday, and during the meeting, we were spending some time in word and prayer before getting into the agenda, and the person leading out the meeting asked us to take some quiet time to reflect on the time of our own personal conversion. And so we sat there in silence, and I was going back, and you know, for some of us, that, it's all different stories. For some of us, it may have been a powerful moment in time in history when that happened. For some of us, it may have been a gradual experience from childhood all into adult years. And I was thinking back on my own journey, and I was thinking about how I grew up in the church, and there were moments, you know, Sabbath school teachers, Pathfinder leaders, academy teachers, parents, friends, that all made such a difference in my life. But I went back to a period of my life between high school and college, right in those transitionary years. And if I'm honest with you, I, I was looking to God to help me with my plans. You ever been there? You know, God... This is pretty scary territory. I don't know what, 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 what the future holds. You know, high school's over, now I'm going into college, and I'm still not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. But I'm going, and it just seems like foreign waters. And so you pray, God, protect me, get me through this and all of that. And so I was looking at God as my great provider, but not as my Savior and my Lord. And I was involved with a uh, Sunday basketball league, and uh, I ended up breaking my ankle. And so it put me down for a while. You know, one of those experiences, the Bible says he makes us lay down in green pastures sometimes, you know. You need to lie down. And there I was, literally broken. And I was trying to figure out my life. And in that period, when I was on my back most of the time, I realized I need to give my life over to Jesus. And I made that intentional effort to surrender to Jesus and recognize that I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And to surrender my life to him 
and to let him lead wherever that goes. And when you do stuff like that, you end up sometimes in Calamesa. <laughs> you end up in all kinds of different places you never even knew existed when you were a teenager, and you end up in places because God starts leading. And it's amazing. I don't know what the story is for you, or maybe some of you are looking for that story. I want to encourage you today. Allow yourself to be clothed in his garments of salvation. Allow yourself to be arrayed in his robe of righteousness. Isaiah also said these words in the very first chapter. Come, now let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Galatians. Paul writes these words, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Isn't it good to be clothed with Christ? I love the story scholar N.T. Wright says. He says, A friend of mine described the reaction when he went home as a young teenager and announced to his mother that he'd become a Christian. Alarmed, she thought he'd join some kind of cult. They've brainwashed you, she said. He was ready with the right answer. If you'd seen what was in my brain, he replied, you'd realize it needed washing. (laughs) Of course, he hadn't been brainwashed. In fact, again and again, and this was certainly the case with my friend, when people bring their lives, their outer lives and inner lives into the light of Jesus the Messiah, things begin to come clear. If anything, it's our surrounding culture that brainwashes us persuading us in a thousand subtle ways that the present world is the only one there is. This is seldom argued. Rather, a mood is created in which it seems so much easier to go with the flow. That's what happens in brainwashing. What the gospel does is to administer a sharp jolt, to shine a bright light, to kickstart the brain and the moral sensibility into working properly for the first time. Yes. Isaiah guarantees that God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations as he covers us in his robe of righteousness and garments of salvation. It's beautiful to know that, isn't it, church? But this morning, that's only the preliminary message. What about these times in which we live? As we live in these times arrayed with Christ's righteousness and and covered in his garments of salvation, this world is a crazy, crazy place. Might I even say it seems insane at times? I look at the news, I watch the news, I I read the news, and I just scratch my head. Do you find yourself doing that? Or am I just the one that's way out there? You look at what's going on in international, in the international world. You look what's going on here domestically. I try to make sense of the debates. <laughs> like, is this scripted? Did somebody write this? This is so crazy. The world seems just completely out of control. Isaiah was writing to a people whose lives were completely out of control. They'd been in exile in Babylon, taken out of their homeland, and now they were coming back, and their homeland was desolate. So much destruction. 
great to be set free and out of exile, but now coming back to a place that they had to spend rebuilding. All the destruction, all the desolation. And yet God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. Sometimes life seems so good we can't imagine it getting any better. And sometimes life is hard and seems challenging beyond what we might think we are capable of. And sometimes life seems beyond possible. But the prophet Isaiah reminds us. He says in Isaiah 61, going to the beginning of the chapter, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We need to take this good news very seriously, church. This change is not just something we hope in, but the prophet is reminding us, proclaiming to us the fact that this is God's very own promise to his people, to you, to me, and to us. God came through in Jesus Christ when God became flesh among us. And in a synagogue in Nazareth on a Sabbath day like today, he got up and he read those very words. He read in Luke 4, he read from Isaiah, but we read in Luke 4, 18 through 19, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he proceeded to say, in the very presence of those people, today this scripture is fulfilled. God's promise way back in the day of Isaiah and and coming out of exile, God's promise came forth in the person of Jesus Christ there in Nazareth that day. God is faithful with his promises, with his covenant. He's going to make things happen. He's going to restore our world. He's going to restore us. And we know because of what he has done through Jesus Christ, and next week we will celebrate the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We also know that that's not the end of the story, that he gave us his very spirit. The same spirit that Isaiah wrote about in chapter 61, the same spirit that Jesus wrote about, is the very spirit that Jesus gives to you and I, the spirit of the sovereign Lord. And as that spirit resides in us, as we are clothed and arrayed in his righteousness and his garments of salvation, we are also a people who experience hardship and brokenness. The poor, brokenhearted, captive, maybe mentally, physically, emotionally. Maybe a sense of being imprisoned with darkness, mourning, grieving, despair. The Spirit of the Lord comes to us. 
in these moments. Whether we are going through times of brokenness or despair, I know all of us, I would venture to say almost all of us, maybe some of us here are too young to experience it yet. But I can't imagine any person here being here today that doesn't, hasn't experienced a broken heart. Mourning, grieving, moments of despair, feeling imprisoned. The Spirit of the Lord comes to us, church, in these very moments. This is the good news that Jesus came. He came to forgive us of our sins and to clothe us in his righteousness. But church, let us not forget, he is a personal God who is deeply concerned with our brokenheartedness. He deeply cares about our moments of despair and mourning. And he is with us. Just as Jesus came in the physical presence to be with those in the poor the brokenhearted, the captives, those who mourn, and so on. He is with us today in the presence of his Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You're never alone. Sometimes in these moments, we can forget that God is up to something. Of course, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to even see past the next minute sometimes. But Isaiah also wrote, God inspired Isaiah earlier in chapter 43. He said, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. He said, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. I want to encourage you today, whether it's good times or bad times, God is up to something. God doesn't just stop. He's always active. Jesus himself said, my father's always working. That's why we can rest sometimes. But God is always up to something. And we must not limit God to our own human potential and our own human strengths because God does things out of the ordinary. He does miraculous things, supernatural things that we can only testify to his power and his goodness. It's easy to reminisce sometimes and, and I'm one who loves nostalgia. It's easy to get nostalgic and as I get older, it's so much easier to do that. I'm sure my, my kids have to sit through that every once in a while, you know. It's like, oh, here goes dad down memory lane, you know. And of course, those days were always better, right? Those were the good old days. I have a friend on Facebook the other day, and she, um, her father passed away a few years ago, and, and they went to a lot of sports games. They had season tickets even before she was born to go to the San Diego Padre games and, and the Charger games and all of that. And she was kind of ranting because now the Padres have gotten rid of tickets. It's all electronic now. And she was so discouraged, she was so upset because she has a bag full of every single ticket she went to with a game with her father. And had written notes on them. My first no-hitter, this and that, so-and-so, and so-and-so. She goes, now, what's a kid going to do? So true. It's so true. In fact, this passage in Isaiah 43, if we took the time to read the verses before, God was reminding them of how he led them through the parting of the Red Sea. 
That was a great memory that Israel likes to remember over and over and over again. And he was saying, forget about that. I'm doing something new. I'm going to do something different. Be careful you don't miss it because I'm active in your life no matter what your situation looks like. Miroslav Volf wrote this in an article in Christian Century a few years ago. The article is called Not Optimistic. Listen to these words. These are powerful words. He says, Optimism is based on the possibilities of things as they have come to be. Hope is based on the possibilities of God irrespective of how things are. Hope is grounded in the faithfulness of God and therefore on the effectiveness of God's promise. Do you hear the difference in that, church? God isn't asking you to be optimistic. He's inviting you to be hopeful in him. I want to read those again. Optimism is based on the possibilities of things as they have come to be. Hope is based on the possibilities of God irrespective of how things are. Hope is grounded in the faithfulness of God and therefore on the effectiveness of God's promise. These words from Isaiah are God's promise to his people. Before Jesus came, when Jesus was here, and now. Isaiah also wrote in chapter 51, he said, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Really, God? You can do that? You can take deserts and turn them into Eden? You can take wastelands and turn them into your very own garden? Yes, he can. And he does. That's why we have hope and not mere optimism. But as God finds us in these times, sometimes of despair and brokenheartedness, you remember that verse in Psalms, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart? You've heard that before, most of you, I'm sure. That word delight, you know, sometimes when you tell that to, to someone, I remember as a kid when I heard that, you know, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Ooh, I better start taking a lot, a lot of delight in God because there's a lot of things I want, right? <laughs> but that's not what he's saying. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That, the root word in Hebrew for that word delight means to be soft and pliable. So listen to what it's saying. It's saying, Allow yourself to be soft and pliable in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Big difference. As we allow ourselves to be soft and pliable in the, in the heart and the hands of God, we will discover that we have desires in our heart we never even knew we had. That would bring us great joy in this life and the life to come. I was listening to a song, I had never heard it before, this week by an artist named Raymond Gregory. The song is called You Are Faithful. And the lyrics go like this, when my heart is troubled and I can hardly breathe, I will rest on your promises. You won't abandon me. In the valley of the shadow of death, if I'm with you, I will not be afraid. 
You are hope for the hurting heart. You are rest for the weary soul. And when I am broken, you are not shaken. Through trial, pain, and tears, you keep count of all my tears. When I am broken, you are not shaken. Lord, you're faithful. God, you're faithful. On the path of abundance, I look back and I see when the road was rough, I stumbled hard. I was beaten down. It was then that you carried me. Through tragedy, in prosperity, you are faithful. You are faithful. In every season, Lord, you are with me. You are faithful, God. You are hope for the hurting heart. You are rest for the weary soul. When I am broken, you are not shaken. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is resilient. And at times we may not feel very resilient. We may feel like we've been knocked down and lying on the mat and there is no way we are getting up. But church, remember the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you, in you and with you. And more resilient than we can even imagine or have strength for ourselves. When we are not resilient, he is. When we are thirsty, he is the living water. When we are hungry, he is the bread from heaven, the bread of life. When we feel lost, he is the good shepherd. And when the world seems dark and alone, he is the light. When we seem lost to our way, he is. Ultimately, when we might find ourselves at death's door, he is and will be even the resurrection and the life. I just want to say some personal words, if I can, this morning to the Kims, to the Earls, Soderblooms, Steffens, Haglins, others, many of you who experienced loss or gone through or going through very extremely difficult times. You may not feel like it, but you are growing into incredible oaks of righteousness. And you may not see it and you may not feel it, but I'll tell you to those of us who see and watch, we see incredible oaks of righteousness. Who trust God, who continue to take a day at a time surrendering to him, trusting him, day after day. We see the roots go deeper and you bless us. And you encourage us to trust God. And you encourage us that when we're going through our own difficult times, to know that God is there. And that God is good all the time. And that we are never, ever alone. Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah 40, to many of us somewhat familiar. Lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth every each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary 
and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you, is upon me, is upon us. And he proclaims good news to the poor. He binds up the brokenhearted. He proclaims freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and proclaims the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He comforts all who mourn and provides for those who grieve in Zion. He bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let's pray. Jesus, we can't thank you enough for your garments of salvation and your robe of righteousness. But Lord, we thank you that it doesn't stop there. Until that day when you come and all is made new, in the midst of our mourning, in the midst of our brokenheartedness, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of prisons of darkness, in the midst of our poverty, you are here. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is here with us, growing us into oaks of righteousness. So Jesus, may the roots go deeper. May they go stronger in our lives, in the very foundation of your kingdom, so that we, through this life, through our lives lived out, proclaim the splendor of the Lord. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer to keep listening to the Spirit today or to share some words with Jesus. And now as we go, may we go knowing you are clothed in the garments of salvation and arrayed in the robe of Christ's righteousness. And know that as we go clothed with those wonderful garments, and if you're going through times of despair, brokenheartedness, mourning, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is with you. God bless you.